What's up everyone and welcome to the weekly edition of ESG Now where we cover how the environment, our society and corporate governance affects and are affected by our economy. I'm your host Mike DeCebedo and this week we discuss the new anti-obesity drugs that have everyone from your local doctor to the Kardashians buzzing. Thanks as always for joining us. Stay tuned. A class of drugs called GLP-1 receptor agonists have gotten a lot of notoriety as of late. GLP-1 receptor agonists mimic a hormone called glucagon, like peptide 1, which is released after a meal and tells your brain that you are full. And if you take a GLP-1 drug, you, you feel full and your appetite is diminished. And for patients that are struggling with obesity that have taken the drug, there's been observed dramatic weight loss results. But the thing is, GLP-1 drugs weren't initially created to treat obesity. They were created to treat diabetes. But it was a weight loss side effect of this drug that created this sensation around it. And you may have heard about one of the more famous versions of the GLP-1 family called Ozempic. Ozempic has been around for some time, but it got a lot of notoriety recently because it was embraced by celebrities and influencers around the world that have reportedly been using it to obtain a thinness that has got every culture writer musing about a new era of body politics. But putting the body politics aside for a moment, the general consensus in healthcare is that these drugs are kind of a game changer when it comes to healthcare. And unhealthy obesity does cause a host of health problems. Those include diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, as well as dozens of other illnesses such as stroke, gout, and various cancers. And carrying extra weight made people more likely to die of COVID-19 in the past couple of years. So something that can curb the rising trend in obesity is seen by healthcare professionals as a positive. And the pharmaceutical companies that are creating these drugs feel that way too. The company that manufactures Ozempic is a Danish pharmaceutical firm called Novo Nordisk. And even though Novo Nordisk did not get Ozempic registered in 2017 for use as a weight loss drug, they saw what was happening when people were using it as an off-label drug for weight loss, and they took the active ingredient in Ozempic called semiglutide, they upped the dose, and they created the company's first drug registered with the FDA to combat obesity called Wegovy. So here's how it's gone so far for the company. On Novo Nordisk's year-end earnings call in 2022, it cited worldwide market growth for obesity drugs of 50%, with almost 40,000 new Wegovy prescriptions being written every week. And a rival GLP-1 drug made by Eli Lilly, an American firm, is due to come on sale later this year, and it's even more effective still at weight loss. And Amgen, AstraZeneca, and Pfizer are all working on rival drugs. But what is interesting about this from an ESG perspective is that this is a case where a drug was developed to treat diabetes, which is a devastating disease that kills more people than AIDS and breast cancer combined in the US every year. But the drug became a catalyst for the development of basically really effective diet pills. Now, one of our key issues called access to healthcare that is part of our social pillar, we look at a company's products that improve healthcare outcomes for the world. And diabetes treatments are included in this, but weight loss drugs are not. Now, why is that? Where does the line get drawn between serving a healthcare need for the masses and a cosmetic use in a drug's practice? And does the company's intention matter when they are developing a drug? I decided that I was gonna call up my colleague, Namita Nair, who covers the healthcare industry for us, 
and ask her these questions. A diet pill per se would not be considered as access to health care. You know, within our framework of assessment, we look at the top 20 diseases by disease burden. And uh, when it comes to when it comes to that cardiovascular diseases, diabetes, for example, far, far outweigh just obesity as a condition. Right. When assessing whether a drug should be included in the access to healthcare pillar, we look at lists that include the most burdensome diseases based on a measure called daily disability adjusted life year, which is based on WHO data. We also look at other lists, but this is one of the main ones. Diabetes cardiovascular disease, they are part of those lists. But obesity is not, mainly because there aren't many studies that have assessed the high obesity-related burden on a global scale. And the WHO says that before they want to add obesity to an EML list, that they need to better understand how obesity creates health risks in lower and middle-income countries. So Ozempic would be considered part of our access to healthcare key issue because it treats diabetes, while we go v that only treats obesity would not be. So, okay, Ozempic would be included in that access to healthcare key issue, but there are other aspects of that key issue that we use to score companies on. For example, price. How affordable is a medicine or drug? GLP-1 drugs are expensive, often more than $1,000 a month out of pocket, and insurance companies frequently refuse to cover them. And there's also access, which again, because Ozempic is a shot that has to be taken weekly for the rest of the patient's life, it isn't great for access in underserved markets where availability to proper storage is scarce due to temperature sensitivities. Still, Novo Nordisk is seen as a company that through its drugs like Ozempic is providing greater access to solutions in healthcare. So we look at them as being part of that access to healthcare key issue. Now compare that to Wegovi. Novo Nordisk registered Wegovi with the US FDA solely for anti-obesity, which is not included, as I said, on any of those lists of medicines or diagnostics that we are looking at. However, the pharmaceutical industry is working to change the obesity designation and how obesity is included in these burdensome disease lists. Right now, the question is whether semaglutide, which is what uh, Ozempic and Vigovi are you know, made of, uh, should be included in the World Health Organization's essential medicines list. So a drug gets into an EML when it is treating the health needs of the majority of a population and uh, the three considerations for access, right? Availability, affordability and uh, acceptability have been met. So these are like the three conditions that need to be met. So for uh, example, Vigovi and Ozempic, the affordability will be a big question. And if a drug gets into an EML, that can open up a lot more business opportunities for the companies that have patents on them and patients that need these drugs. For example, experts say that adding HIV drugs to the list in 2002 helped to make them more widely available to AIDS patients in poor countries. And there is also a push by these pharmaceutical companies to get these medicines covered by Medicare in the U.S. Novo Nordisk, along with Eli Lilly, which also has a slew of anti-obesity drugs coming into the market, are spending roughly $10 million annually on lobbying of the U.S. government to do just that. A primary focus of their lobbying is the proposed Treat and Reduce Obesity Act that would require Medicare to cover the chronic weight management drugs that treat obesity. This treat 
and reduce obesity act though it, it's a bill that has been introduced in u.s congressional sessions annually since 2012 so we really don't know what's going to happen but it is a possibility so i asked namita what she thought about that possibility there are a lot of pros and cons of that uh, the cons would be that it would represent a huge chunk of reimbursements if medicare took this uh, took this drug in uh, and the other question is because medicare caters to an older population 60 and above what is the relative effect effectiveness of you know giving the drug to people who have already manifested these chronic disease conditions versus giving it to a much younger population yeah the boat might be passed on stopping the chronic diseases that obesity causes by the time you are eligible for medicare which is at 65 years or older in the us so that's a hurdle that will take some convincing to overcome for the pharmaceutical companies But anti-obesity drugs are catching on for kids too. The American Pediatric Association recently included weight loss medication as part of a set of treatments that physicians should consider for kids with obesity. So we may see a future where these obesity drugs are grouped with medicines like insulin on these essential medicines lists. But what I don't get is Ozempic became popular and spurred the development of these new anti-obesity drugs because of its weight loss abilities, not because of its ability to treat diabetes. But the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration does not like it when a company promotes and markets a drug that was used to treat a chronic disease for example for use by people that do not have that disease. The FDA is not cool with that. So are there potential regulatory concerns around the off-label use of this drug? So I would say that you know it depends on the degree of the risk associated with a product, right? If we look at the pitfalls of uh the sort of uh, marketing that is happening uh, companies have to maintain a stance that they cannot do off label marketing uh they will not they will not do off label marketing they will not uh, allow the drug to be prescribed for anything other than what it has been indicated for but in the case of vigovi for example it is already indicated for uh, you know the uh, weight loss uh now the other the other issue over here is that as you rightly pointed out it's not the company that's just doing the marketing there's a lot of these celebrity endorsements uh and a lot of social media hype about the drug uh what tends to happen in such cases we've seen in the past there was the fenfen boom uh when a lot of people took uh, these weight loss drugs and they turned out to have a lot of cardiac side effects for example so a lot of a lot of the fallout of a new drug being on the market is are these undiscovered side effects that then come to the fore uh because what happens is when a clinical trial is going on for a drug it's a controlled environment uh, there's a limited population and uh, the sort of endpoints that are met uh may not be the endpoints that are you know discovered in real life and once a drug is put out into the market we have something called phase 4 of the clinical trials which is when a drug is seen uh, the effects of a drug and the side effects of a drug are seen in the general population and a lot of lawsuits that companies face uh, which are captured in our model in terms of controversies uh a uh, relate to you know the product liability in terms of you know undisclosed side effects or unintended side effects which were only discovered after the drug was put into the market and you know given to a, a particular population ah the undiscovered side effects there have already been reports of side effects hitting people that are using ozempic for weight loss such as diarrhea vomiting constipation dizziness nausea but these have been mild 
But Ozempic is a lower dose of the semi-glutide than other anti-obesity drugs. As these new higher dose drugs are introduced, new problems could crop up. Animal studies, for example, have shown a higher incidence of thyroid cancer, and also semi-glutide is associated with rare pancreatitis. But as I noted before, there are a lot of health concerns that come with obesity. The healthcare professionals are saying that this is a game changer for the industry. It seems like these drugs might be here to stay. And it's not a casual thing to mess with your metabolism, which these drugs do. They change how hormones are secreted throughout your body and how your brain assesses satiety. So to close us out, I want to know from Namita how we score Novo Nordisk overall on ESG factors. If it is ready for this possible influx in patients taking either its drugs specifically for their design purpose or otherwise. For in terms of, uh, you know, Novo Nordisk, as we've assessed, uh, it has a AAA rating and the company has... Uh, you know, is in the top quartile related to peers with respect to risk management on product safety and quality. And uh, the number of controversies that the company faces is also uh, lesser than average for a company of its size within our coverage universe. And I'm referring to the MSCI Acqui constituents at this point. Uh, so we would say that um, uh, as it stands, Novo Nordisk is actually having the practices and the performance and as far as the controversies go, the company is not involved in as many controversies or as severe controversies as other companies with, uh, you know, this, a similar market cap. All right. So it seems Novo Nordisk in general has a solid oversight of its on-market drugs so far. And I cannot comment on how the overall medical industry should look at fighting obesity. But from what I have read, medical experts seem to be saying that while it's time for celebration, we should also remember other anti-obesity measures such as exercise and health care and better food labeling that may help prevent people from getting to an unhealthy level of obesity in the first place. Still, these drugs seem to be coming at a high clip and the market seems to be really embracing them. So it's something that we're probably going to have to watch for a long time. Thanks as always for joining us. I want to thank Namita Nair for discussing with me the news with an ESG twist. And I want to thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, don't forget to rate and review us. That always helps us get new listeners and helps us to continue this throughout the years. I will talk to you next week and have a good weekend. The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc. subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research, LLC, a registered investment advisor and the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to nor received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or promotional recommendation of any security, financial instrument or product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.